are the Hallmarkies Podcast, and we're so excited to be recording this special bonus episode of our podcast. And I'm Rachel, and Amber's here. Hi, everybody. And we have a special guest. Today, we are talking about the show Once Upon a Time, which airs on, which is airing its final season on ABC right now. And we have our friend, podcaster extraordinaire, Mike Bloom, here with us to talk about Once Upon a Time. Mike, you want to introduce yourself to our uh, podcast? Sure, absolutely. Let me uh, stop eating this lovely apple tart. And before I fall asleep, <laughs> I will go into my, I guess, my little uh, background. So my name is Mike Bloom. I'm probably most well known as a reality television uh, podcaster and newfound member of the reality TV press, which is something that I'm still trying to get to sort of wrap my mouth around in terms of those words. But I, I'm mainly known for covering shows like Survivor, The Amazing Race, Big Brother, Top Chef, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, but I also get into a bit of scripted content as well. I cover right now, I podcast about Saturday Night Live, I do podcasts about shows like Westworld and uh, Stranger Things and The Leftovers when it was airing, uh, but I'm excited to sort of, uh, you know, tuck into Once Upon a Time, which I covered quite literally Once Upon a Time as well. <laughs> a show that admittedly I have not thought about in a good year and a half or so. We can get into more of that when we talk about our respective histories of the show, but I'm so excited to be here with the two of you talking about this show. It's, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of magic around. In <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Mike Bloom is money. <laughs> very, very little money. I'm like, I'm like, the dollar you find in your jeans when they come out of the dryer, like, oh, this is, this is nice. Uh, <laughs> doesn't change my day, but it's nice. I think I compare myself to that. Well, we are so excited because we, uh, we, Amber and I met through our, our friendship through Rob has a podcast then uh, that, uh, that Mike has uh, worked for. And, uh, and uh, so it's just, this is just very exciting. It's not yeah, like no Rob on, but yeah, it, it's it, pretty close. It's like uh, all of our podcasting dreams are basically coming true. <laughs> Again, true once upon a time fashion. These d prophetic dreams are happening. We don't, we don't need to kill each other, though. So it makes them a lot better yeah. than the once upon a time version. But also knowing once upon a time will also all come back to yeah. life. Or yeah. alternate versions of ourselves will <laughs> jump through a portal and podcast should any yeah. of us you know, happen to succumb to anything. And like if anything goes wrong that shouldn't happen... Memory potion, we'll be fine. Exactly. Don't worry about it. So before we <laughs> dove into the show, I wanted to talk a little bit just about sort of our general sort of Disney fandom hood, like where we stand uh, at the House of Mouse. And for me, obviously, I'm like hardcore Disney fan. Um, I, I've reviewed the canon twice, once on my blog and once on my channel. <laughs> and uh, so I'm really proud of that. And I, I just, I don't know, I love animation, and so the only thing that, from Disney that I really hate is that most of the live-action remakes I don't like. There's a couple that are okay, but for the most part, I don't like them, uh, but I really like going to the parks, and I went to D23 this last year, and that was like a huge dream of mine to get to go, uh, which is kind of like Disney Comic Con, and it was really cool, and I love Pixar, so I'm just a huge Disney fan. What about you, Mike? Uh, so, you know, as a child of the 90s, you grow up on those Disney VHS tapes that are encased <laughs> in those, like, lovely, bulky uh, plastic cases. Because they're, they're so much more fragile than regular 
Exactly. It felt like they were like the Fabergé eggs of home media. Like, oh my God, these are priceless relics. So nowadays, they pretty much are, uh, you know, priceless relics. But so I grew up, you know, watching the traditional fare that came out around that time. I'm pretty sure my parents told me that the first movie I ever saw was Aladdin when it came out in 92. Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong there. I think that's correct, um, yeah. Okay. This is one of many fact checks that I'll run by you today, uh, just so you know. Because, yeah, so... You know, I got when the when the the aughts hit and we got more into the Pixar stuff, you know, being in high school and being a nerd and do it and doing my own movies. I was totally into that stuff. Uh, I'll admit, you know, when my 20s roll around, it, it I had less money and less time <laughs> to watch a lot of films. So I dropped off, uh, you know, around uh, when the, the 2D was sort of dropping off as well. I actually remember yes. there was a, a random memory of uh, I think it was probably New Year's Eve 2009 going into 2010, I went to go see The Princess and the Frog by myself. And it was in the movie theater. It was just me and a family of four. And they all sat in like the third row. And they just, the parents just kept turning around and looking at me. Like I was like, I like, why is this man in this big peacoat sitting watching this movie? Clearly he has ulterior motives. No, I just love the music of Randy Newman. And I want to see, uh, you know, Nicodoni Rose uh, kill it as Tiana. But, you know, uh, in finding, you know, my my girlfriend at the time who became my wife, she, she's pretty obsessed about that stuff as well. So we got back into it with all of the, you know, the when things were surging back, what with Tangled, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, uh, all that stuff. And most recently, I, I flew over to LA briefly to do a set visit for a show that I'm covering. And I finally, it was a, a little bit of a late comer, but I got to see Coco on the first time on the plane. I was happy I was in the window seat because then not many people were like watching the tears for me. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I always, I, I always love it. And I've, you know, I've tracked, uh, you know, the stuff that Rachel's been doing with the Disney canon. I follow, you know, Doug Walker, who goes, who does the Disney Sembers retrospectives. It's another uh, video guy, Tony Goldmark, who's huge into the Disney stuff as well. So like, I've actually become more ingrained or knowledgeable of this stuff these past few years due to the diehards out there who really saw oh, drag into the uh, more obsessive parts of the community. All right, Amber, what about you? Um, I am not nearly as cool as you guys. I was gonna I was gonna be funny and say like I hate Disney. It's the worst, but obviously that's not true because who hates Disney? No one. <laughs> but I you know pretty casual relationship, just like a typical kid, like watch all the movies they when they come out and I don't, you know know who directed them or any animators names but i really like them I don't know. sounds good no that's good uh so what is your so now sort of this show like we'll start off with me like kind of my feelings about the show for me this show uh is was very like junk food level show like i don't think this is a good show to binge watch because i just think it's kind of i just don't think the story like if you ask me like what happened in season three? I'm like, oh, I think it was Peter Pan. I, I don't know. I just, I, all I remember is just like each week sitting down, watching it, enjoying the characters. Cause I think it is so well cast. And as a Disney fan each week, it was really fun to be like, Ooh, look, that's Pinocchio in that scene. Or look, there's, there's, there's a, uh, I don't know. There's a little wink to Fantasia there or there's a whatever. And so, that was pretty much my enjoyment of it, uh, is that it's just kind of on a disposable sort of level of this show for me. And I think it is much better than most of the remakes. 
So for you, that's not saying much, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. What about you, Mike? Yeah, so once upon a time, uh, you know, I'd first heard of it, uh, you know, I'm a musical theater obsessive, and there's my favorite musical ever is a musical called Into the Woods, which I won't say too much about it, but essentially, uh, it takes a bunch of different fairy tale characters, so it has, you know, a little bit of Riding Hood, and what if, what if she met Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk, and they made up with Cinderella, and so... Uh, you know, I, I always sort of have that element running through my head, especially when I hear that, oh, here's this show that, as you said, sort of brings in these different Disney characters and has them interact together in a different environment. Uh, and it also, you know, came from Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, who were two of the writers behind one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Lost. And so when it first came about in 2011, I was like, okay, I'll definitely check it out. And I think I watched the first and I want to say like season and a half, maybe first two seasons. And then whether it was due to time or just waning interest, I sort of dropped out of it. And then back in 2014, I think it was, I was given the opportunity to podcast about it when season four was coming back, which was the, uh, the, the, the half seasons. The first half was the Frozen arc, the much maligned Frozen arc. The second <laughs> half was the Queens of Darkness, where it had uh, Cruella DeVille and Ursula and Maleficent sort of as the the big bads there. Uh, So in the process of doing that, uh, I binge watched all three seasons in a row. And I will definitely back up Rachel there in that, you know, I think the first season is is good on a binge, but starting in the second season, I think it's still enjoyable. And I will say throughout this conversation that the performances and the actors for the very much most part are all top notch and oftentimes very much transcend the material itself and make it a lot better than it could be if it was done by you know uh worse actors but around season two season three you get to sort of more convoluted murky plot (laughs) territory i will say season three is a bit of a reprieve they do some some interesting things and have some interesting fun twists thrown in there but especially you know starting to cover the show you get a lot more granular with it. And so when you really have to wrap your head around like, okay, here's this magical object that they bring in for the week that does this thing, but they're not going to mention it again ever. It's just for <laughs> one time use. Oh, here's this relationship when they were in, they were this way in this episode and this way in this episode. Makes you go a little crazy, even though you're still enjoying it. Uh, you know, we ended up stopping the podcast right in the second half of season six. I ended up finishing season six and maybe this will <laughs> hopefully not color anyone's opinion of me in any way throughout the course of this conversation. I actually have not watched season seven, the reboot season. I was uh, waiting to hear thumbs up or general thumbs down about <laughs> it before I decided to check it out. Uh, I, I think the jury, I mean, I'll hope, maybe I'll hear from the two of you whether I should invest my time in. I think the jury's kind of out at this point, especially knowing that this is the last season. But yeah, that's sort of my history with it. I, I, I sort of uh, dipped my toes in the water for a bit when it aired, took my foot out, then like submerged myself in it very much so. And then I decided mm-hmm. to get out of the pool uh, before you know, Adult Swim was over. <laughs> there you go. Full disclosure, I actually haven't watched season seven either. I know, I just felt like it was done. I just, I don't know. I just haven't. I have it on my DVR waiting, mm-hmm. but I didn't watch it. But Amber, what do you think about the show? Yeah, so my history with it, I watched all of season one and we loved it, mostly. I was really upset about a main character death at the very beginning, which most people don't even remember. Rachel was like, that happened? And I was really upset at the time. And then I watched- Can we spoil it? Can I ask you? Yeah, it's fine. Was it it Graham? Yeah, I was furious. Uh, Jamie Dornan. Well, he went on to do uh, some some different stuff after that. Some different stuff. (laughs) But I was so mad that I basically didn't forgive the show, but I finished the season. And then when I 
went back to watch it for Rachel. Rachel was like, hey, Amber, do you want to talk about Once Upon a Time with Mike Bloom? And I said, well, yep, I'll watch it all. Um, so, <laughs> I, so I finally went back and watched it. And it looks like I had watched the first episode of season two and I was like, I'm done. So I kept watching it this past month and I finished and I'm caught up. Yay. And it's yeah. fun, I think. But I don't know how to, you know, whether like binging it's better or watching it weekly is better because I just devoured it like a, I don't know, yeah, something. Drinking a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably the most up to date as far as the story, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I got all the facts. They're right here. Like cramming for a test. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, one thing I wanted to ask before we kind of dive into the characters, is is there a character that for you, you think was better portrayed on the show than in the movies and one that was worse portrayed in your mind? And I will start. I think that Merida was better portrayed. I'm not saying her story was that great, but I felt like, because in my opinion, like in that movie, I don't hate the movie, but like, I feel like it sets it up for this like great thing. We're going to see her out with her bow and arrow and she's going to be storming the castle. It's going to be really exciting. This is going to be like really great. And it turns into this like domestic dispute thing with her mom and the bear and stuff. And, and, uh, and so like, I felt like when Merida here on this show, we finally got to see that character that I had wanted to see in the movie. So that was exciting for me. The one that I think was way worse and I can never understand is their treatment of Cinderella. Like why waste one of the most iconic princesses in all of Disney and definitely top three for sure. And, uh, and on a one, like a one or two episode arc in season one, that just baffles me. And, uh, so that was the one that was very frustrating. I know they brought her back for season seven, but I don't know. I was, just, I but was like a totally different Cinderella. Yeah. Spoiler alert. So I was really annoyed <laughs> by that. Uh, it was the, it was Cinderella and, but I think Merida was better than in the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would say sort of by default, I mean, the Snow White portrayal in this is so, so much more three-dimensional. I mean, it has to be right because it's, it's a main character. And so, uh, I mean, I always love when we get to see Jennifer Goodwin, like Don, the leather and the bow and arrow. I think they even lampshaded this at one point in like season five or six that like some it's, it's, there are long gaps between when we get to see Snow White be badass. And I love that considering that like, yes, Snow White and the Huntsman, whether you call that an actual adaptation or not, tried to go for that as well. More of the like Katniss Everdeen meets Snow White. But I feel like the original Snow White uh, what was much more two-dimensional of just like this, the typical, I mean, she really, you know, set the mold there for the, the, the singing princess archetype that I feel like Snow White uh, really improves upon. I'm trying to think about, you know, I, I, I don't know if this counts as a Disney character, but I feel like their take on Little Red Riding Hood was really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, for when she was in, you know, the two seasons and then when she got on that other show and they prompted like kicked her off, except when they, Hey, don't call Chesapeake Shore some other show. Hashtag Hallmark, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's she true. I guess I, <laughs> I, 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 am, uh, I'm, I should not be, uh, yeah, I should not be impugning the actual material that, you know, sort of that applies this podcast. But they also did 
uh, you know, the, uh, we're also going to be describing several plot points that sound absolutely ridiculous if you don't watch the show, but like yeah. they brought her back for those two episodes when she hooked up with Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> which is just because. Yeah, which is just because. So ridiculous. I mean, I guess, and again, this isn't a Disney character necessarily, but I would say that we can talk about like the Zelina character later on, but yeah. the way they did the Wicked Witch of the West was interesting in season three but then when they brought her back and made her a, a regular character throughout um, i could see where they were coming from but it almost like i don't know i had that margaret hamilton you know version that's so iconic mm-hmm. in my head that i i love rebecca mater again love me some lost love me some charlotte but at the same time like uh it, it just sort of didn't make the character fun anymore unfortunately yeah, yeah. What about you, Amber? Um, well, who do I love from the show that was better? I mean, obviously, Captain Hook is, like, really great as Captain Hook, you know, mm. like, oh, shiver me timbers. But I feel like a lot of the stuff that they end up doing with Hook is really fun. Yeah. And the way that, like, they call back to all of his piratisms. I really mm-hmm. enjoy the way they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he's a dreamboat. But mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to call the guy with, you know. In the yeah. cartoon, a dreamboat. Captain Hook in the um, cartoon is very slapstick, like super. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, and Ursula was just the worst. Oh yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that. I mean, <laughs> she was. I mean, speaking towards you, what you said about Cinderella. I mean, that's one of the most iconic Disney villains of all times. You could say that about Maleficent as well. Maleficent had some early stuff in like season one, a bit, but like they brought Ursula was gone in like two episodes in the fourth mm-hmm. season. It was a little, and they gave her like a redemption arc that like she found her father again and now everything is well it just it was strange i'm happy that with cruella Deville, they totally went in the direction we thought they were going to which is to make her like bat effing insane which was amazing she's great yeah she was really good i yeah i think they maybe sometimes were afraid because they had such great characters we'll talk about regina and rumple uh but almost afraid to have other villains like outshine another one i think they did a disservice to was the King Arthur uh, run? I I don't know. He wasn't my favorite. Like, I I I, th- I think I'm a bigger fan of the King Arthur arc than some. Uh, but I because uh, just because I I did like the turn, which actually has become sort of a trope of Disney movies nowadays of like, oh, you think this person's the hero? We're yeah. actually they're the villain the whole time. <laughs> But That's I did true. like that they sort of ended up turning heroic King Arthur into like a whiny little baby. I can understand how annoying that is, but. I, I did like turning the character onto his head. Oh, you know what I will say also? Hades. Uh, I mean, it's tough to sort of, you know, uh, improve on James Wood's really smarmy performance in Hercules. And God bless Greg German. Loved him on Ally McBeal. But they just, they didn't yeah. know what to do with that character, unfortunately. I agree. Yeah. A waste. A waste. <laughs> and they hardly ever used the blue hair effect. I know. Well, it didn't, it didn't look very good, to be honest. Maybe it was for the best. First person we're going to talk about is Regina, played by Elena Perilla. And kind of what were your thoughts about her character arc through the show and just the character in general? What about you, Mike? Yeah, so, I mean, she's built up to be the, the big villain in, you know, the first season. She is the evil queen. Uh, and But I loved, again... Uh, first season's obviously my favorite, but I love what they did at the end where you sort of give her this backstory where I want to say she's sympathetic, but you understand where she's coming from, right? Where she's brought up by this horrible mother in Korra. She has this love of Daniel the Stable Hand and it all goes awry. 
So that being said, you know, it was a little bit of, you know, awkward, you know, squeezing into like, how does she fit back into the main cast now that she's not evil? And I liked a couple of times that they sort of dealt with her, you know, trying to really balance out. I mean, quite literally, there's an arc where she tries to remove the evil part of herself <laughs> and it brings up those philosophical questions. Lana Perea is a fantastic actress and a beautiful actress. So I think she does a, probably one of the best jobs of the performance, which again is definitely saying something. I personally just feel bad for the character because it <laughs> seems like she consistently kind of gets pooped on, especially with what ends up happening to Robin Hood. Like it just, uh, this poor woman can never be happy, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Poor Regina. She's obviously the best. And the Evil Queen is incredible. Yeah. I mean, hands down, she's the best part of the show. I don't, like, even when the show itself is really struggling and everyone's being convoluted and ridiculous, she's amazing. Everything she does is great, so. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I think because you know that she adopted this child, like, there is always sort of a feeling of, like, what is up with her? Like, this is interesting. And uh, I, I kind of like uh, just seeing her go back and forth with Emma. And they're, I, I just, I think they got the chemistry right in almost every case in this show, whether it's the actual couples or the, the various people kind of, uh, they're different sparring off. And I think she has a, a lot of growth. And I, I really agree. And you can just tell that, uh, Lena is just having the time of her life in this role and just having so much fun. And yeah. so I agree. Uh, so let's talk about Snow and, uh, and uh, um, Charming. And uh, that's Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. And they actually are a couple. And they met on this show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think they have amazing chemistry. Like you can tell that they're a couple. Because, you hope so. Yeah. <laughs> But they really do, and uh, we—I mean, Amber and I can speak for the fact that real-life couples don't always have great chemistry in their, in their Hallmark movies. They like but, to try that on Hallmark Channel, and not all the time is it a hit. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, I just think they have super great chemistry. I really love them, and uh, it didn't matter kind of what silly thing they're having them do because. Like anyone can knows that if like I I can accept the most ridiculous controversies in the world if I feel like it's a couple that has chemistry and I like them and so uh, that was I just really enjoyed them whenever they were on. Yeah, I mean they were I mean they were really like one of the, probably one of the biggest plot lines of the first season, right? It was like this will it was a I wouldn't say it's like a will they or won't they? It's like a when, when they? they yeah when will they realize <laughs> that they're in love with each other and get yeah. together? But it was, really interesting where like he had a girlfriend and you know all these sort of weird dynamics interwoven in the first season to the point of where when the second season started you could tell the writers were like what do we do now and so <laughs> I, I agree that like I mean again I talked about before I love I love seeing Jennifer Goodwin you know draw that bow and arrow in the enchanted forest and really like become the heroine that she's meant to be I love seeing Josh Dallas rock his goofy wigs and trying to be you know <laughs> shepherd boy in the flashbacks but unfortunately i feel like like you know they really wanted to keep these characters around but there kind of wasn't anything for them to do especially separately i you know i feel like when i was covering the show we always lumped them together in one part because like 
it felt very rare that those two had separate things that they were pursuing. Yeah. It always felt like they were sort of like moving together as one unit. But that being said, they obviously, you know, have this interesting relationship as well, where because of this time shift, you know, their daughter is 28. They're probably what in like their, you know, early 30s, mid 30s. So it's weird to like have your daughter as one of your peers, which has (laughs) the least of once upon a time's uh, complicated familial relationships. But (laughs) so I I really like the performers and I think the characters were fun, especially early on. I just I kind of wish that they had come up with more stuff for them to do as individuals rather than have them i mean for a good part of like the latter half of the show they were like all right we'll take care of our baby back in the apartment and, <laughs> and then just sort of twiddle our thumbs and wait for the next thing to fall in our lap yeah that's fair. yeah um i am not a huge fan of mary margaret and david i'm just gonna say it i think okay. they're really boring <laughs> but i love snow and charming and i don't mind Mary Margaret and David when they are being like super mom and daddy to Emma like oh well you better get in by curfew and like disapproving parents and when she's like like, precious child let me bake you some cookies those parts are really funny for me but like most of the tough stuff when they're in Storybrooke I was like Oh, just take me back to the evil queen. Well, so so that's a good question, though, because, you know, obviously after the first season, they sort of have this epiphany and they realize who they are. Do you still feel like after that, though, when theoretically the characters are supposed to be blended together, you still felt like David and Mary Margaret just weren't acting as, I don't know, epic as they might have been, you know, literally once upon a time? Yeah, basically, whenever Snow and Charming are in Storybrooke, they're just really boring. And they're always like oh, well, uh, we're the coolest ever, but they don't do anything in Storybrooke. They only look cool when they leave Storybrooke, Mm. in my opinion, obviously. All right, so then we have uh, Emma, played by Jennifer Morrison, and I think it's kind of a miracle that I liked Emma because I hated Jennifer Morrison on How I Met Your Mother. But you were supposed to, right? Like, because (laughs) the last time you remember of her is her leaving, spoiler alert, she leaves Ted at the altar. So you're like, oh, no, 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 that's not. She played Zoe. She played this, like. Activist, right? Yeah, the activist one. And I hated Zoe. And I, I (laughs) so the fact that I warmed up to Emma as much as I did shows, uh, was, was, showed that she did a good job, I think. And she, you know, she, it's always easy to be critical of sort of, the, the hero character, the lead character who's kind of, you know, whether I feel like it's always easier to like Han Solo more than Luke, you know, or, or whatever kind of a thing. And, uh, and I think that's kind of true here. Uh, and, but I, I, I like her. I think that it's uh, interesting to see her dynamic with Georgina as it grows over the course of the seasons. And uh, of course, once Hook comes on board, then it, it becomes a lot more exciting, I think, because uh, he, she, and uh and colin have such great chemistry together so you're are you team hook or team neil then i'm assuming you're you're team, team hook, hook. Yeah. are there people who are team neil i'm team neil admittedly <laughs> i i i liked maybe it's because you know i liked michael raymond james from his one season stint in true blood but i thought him and emma had some chemistry as well especially since we knew they had history together as opposed to like hey, these two met in the, uh, you know, in the Enchanted Forest when Emma accidentally went in there and now they're like, they're going to get together. Maybe I just, maybe I felt for Balefire and that's why I sort of like, I wouldn't say sided with him because Hook did grow on me as well and I'm sure we'll talk about him. But yeah, I will. (laughs) Jennifer Morrison, I think she does a really good job in it. I do think there are some points when she suffers from a bit of like, 
her face is constantly stuck in like a furrowed brow and like an open mouth worried expression because they constantly place Emma in these weird situations. But all the power to her, she is really like, Emma has been, they've put Emma through a lot of random stuff and had a lot of stuff happen to her, but she's been able to try to fight it. I mean, they, they tried to make her the dark one yeah, for an entire yeah, half of a season. And she, she played with it as much as she could. So I, I give her all the credit and the fact that like, the interesting thing of like giving her magic in the middle of the third season, which I think definitely changed the game in terms of like having her get involved in the main plot. I'm glad they did that because I felt like they were started running to running out of starting to run out of ideas of like, okay, if Emma is not magic, how do we keep her involved with the plot considering that, you know, she was the crux of the first season. So I'm glad they sort of did that to keep her as the main character. I think you make a great point, Rachel, that sometimes we underrate the main character of these franchises just because uh, sometimes we like to blur our eyes and look more so towards the scenery or the, the chorus dancers uh, to say like, oh yeah, what are these people doing? I like these people. But I do feel like Jennifer Morrison, for all the stuff that she's, you know, the, all the stuff the character's been dealt with the past uh, seven seasons has really done an amicable job of, uh, of, you know, putting out a great performance. Yeah, I agree. She, she does do a really good job. And um, as Rachel probably knows, and you don't, I live for side characters. So when there is a main character that I enjoy, it's pretty, pretty good job for them. Um, and she, she does do a good, but she like, I got really frustrated with her always being the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every problem, well, obviously Emma can fix it because she's just Emma the savior. Hooray. <laughs> I mean, it could, sort of became uninteresting that every problem was just going to be solved in episode 22 by Emma just having magic or something, yeah. believing in herself enough. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's tough because you can tell that, like, the show wanted to keep her the main character when, like, there could be other characters that could get brought to the forefront. I don't know if they just felt like, okay, Jennifer Goodwin, or, um, you know, actually, same thing with Jennifer Goodwin. You know, Jennifer Goodwin, no matter what her involvement in the episode is, was always the first name on those credits mm-hmm. when it pops up, even if she might be only moderately involved in the episode. So maybe they just felt like, okay, we started with Emma, let's sort of keep her as this through line throughout, even though, as you said, it becomes like sort of a case of sometimes, and this gets, again, her sort of serving the plot when it's convenient. Sometimes she'll have that superpower of, oh, I know when you're lying. I can help solve the case. And sometimes she is dull as a bag of rocks <laughs> and like completely gets tricked and falls into traps mm-hmm. uh, almost, almost in like the same episode sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So the next person we're going to talk about is uh, Rumple. Uh, um, Mr. Will played by Robert Carlyle, and I think he, along with Regina, are the highlights of the show, in my opinion. They are both having the time of their lives. They're so much fun, and <clears throat> I I really liked his uh, storylines with Belle. I, I thought that they were way better than the live-action version remake, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of an interesting take on the story, and I, I liked his sort of, when they brought in his son, I thought that was kind of an interesting sort of dynamic to bring into the character, make him have to make some choices. And so, yeah, I liked uh, Rumple. What did you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, co-signed in that, you know, Robert Carlyle and the character of Mr. Gold slash Rumpelstiltskin, uh, he's, he's the other character that you feel like is really having fun with it because he can be, you know, if we're talking about like D&D alignment, he's like the chaotic evil or the chaotic neutral where like he'll 
he'll do whatever he wants to as long as like there's something in it for him. And I did like the backstories on how he sort of connects with everything, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, how he connects with Peter Pan, which might be one of my favorite like twist reveals in Once Upon a Time history. That was such a good reveal. I, this might be a hot take. I feel like when he, you know, sacrifices himself to, you know, help save the town and get rid of Peter Pan, I feel like that kind of should have been the end of him. He's fantastic and I love him, but I feel like when we brought him back, we went to this vault and we brought him back through the the weird black goo. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it basically became like a weird, and we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about this with Bell. It, it, the the dynamic became very odd. It became a little cyclical. Where like she'll he'll do something bad, but he'll hide it from her, and she says, "Okay, no lies this time." He says, "Okay," then she finds out, and she gets <laughs> mad and leaves him, and then it just sort of keeps yeah. going in a circle. So I felt like you know him doing that was such a selfless and such almost an out of character move that I really enjoyed him sort of going out on that note. Maybe it was also because because he had to come back, Neil had to die, so that's sort of like. Yeah, you're like hashtag team Neil all day, every day. All day, every day. Yeah, it's like painted on the back of every one of my shirts. (laughs) People still don't know what it means, but you know what? I'm going to get it trending again. (laughs) Hashtag. Yeah, one of my favorite things on the show was whenever they would have like that, that like create the ripping the heart out in the, in the, the magic thing. I always thought that looked super cool. I don't know. I thought that I this is going to sound terrible. Every time they pull the hearts out, I'm like, that looks so delicious. Like some sort of red Jolly Rancher. Like, could you even imagine? So good. I mean, I don't know if you've seen season one of Game of Thrones, but they get into a very similar territory. <laughs> they don't look as good. No, not as good. Not as good. Once upon a time, does a better job with their craft services of really adjusting up their hearts. Um, yeah, but so as far as Mr. Gold goes, I think he's kind of lame, Mr. Gold. Rumpelstiltskin in Enchanted Forest is amazing. But once we get to actual Mr. Gold, like, I feel like all of his schemes don't even make sense. Like, even once it's all at the end and it's all revealed what his plan was the whole time, like, that's your plan? But I should have not expected more because they make portals to different worlds. Like, they're just going out of style. And it took him, what? 300 years to figure out a way to get to the land without magic i mean come on rumpelstiltskin get better at plans i believe there was one time when he literally told Belle he wanted to take over the world and it's just like <laughs> we have reached like the moment but yeah i mean to, to your point about portals i believe we actually like tried to track this as we were covering it on the podcast like so portals can be made through a magic bean, you could use the magician's hat from, uh, you know, Mr. Bucky Barnes, Sebastian Stan, when he used to be on the show. You could have a mermaid do it. Uh, you could, like, open up the magic door that the author created. There were so many different ways to create pearls, and I'm, I'm glad because I like to explore other worlds, and I'm sure we can talk about that. That's really what the half-seasons were utilized for, but at the same time, that's a good example of like how many plot elements as a once upon a time fan you have to keep track in your head at once in order to really like figure out sometimes what the heck is going on yeah i didn't i just didn't even try to be honest when i watched it i just was like okay i'll watch it tonight see what's going on tonight i don't know uh it was very like soap opera-ish i think about about it in that way yes. it, I, I did feel especially in the later seasons it got a little soapy especially mm. like when we get to and i'm sure we can talk about zelina but like the the biggest, the like, oh, Zelina was masquerading as Maid Mary in the entire time, and she's having your baby. Like, that is so 
I mean, they literally did evil yeah. twins. They or, like, literally an, did evil twins. Like, it's, it got so, so soapy later on. But, yeah. you know, you, again, you stay for the performances. And, again, I can't say enough that these actors yeah. took some suspect material sometimes and really spun straw into gold. Talk about uh, Henry. <laughs> um, and this is played by Jared Gilmore. And for me, with Henry, his main job on the show is to push Emma into doing things and to push Regina into either not doing things or doing things, depending on where she's at in the show. And so he does a good job with that, but <laughs> I think that can make him kind of irritating too, because that's his job, is to push people into doing things they don't necessarily want to do, or not do things that they want to do. And I, you know, I don't think, I think he is the weakest of the cast as far as acting. And uh, so that kind of made him a little more grating also, because uh, a big part of my enjoyment of the show is the cast and their chemistry together and so that's where i stand on henry <laughs> what about you mike yeah i mean it's understandable why he is the weakest member of the cast because you take a big roll of the dice uh, in a yeah. big gamble when you say hey 10 year old kid come here and stay on this show that's going to end up lasting six years and we're going to watch you grow up uh awkwardly so so, you know, Jared Gilmore, I can't remember if he was the best of the Bobby Drapers. I don't remember at this point of all three of them. But, uh, you know, I felt like he, he did a fun job in the first season. I thought him and uh, Jennifer Morrison had a really good chemistry. But again, I'll sort of say what happened with the Charmies. You know, once he got that kiss on his forehead and woke up, they were kind of like, okay, what do we do with him now? Uh, so I'm glad that in season four, they brought in this author mechanic. Granted, it breaks the plot in so many ways. <laughs> But at least it gives him something to do and it makes things interesting in terms of, you know, up to this point, like you said, Rachel, he's sort of been the kid that's sort of been carting around the book being like, no, this is supposed to happen this way. And now he actually has sort of a, a purpose behind it. So I'm glad he was brought into the plot in that regard. But yeah, they, you know, they tried to give him a girlfriend that paid off as well as it, you know, it basically <laughs> sounds. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear from Amber because I hear that this is a bit of a point of disagreement between the two of you yes i love henry henry is the best he is such a sweet little baby and rachel just hates his guts and i wish i could show you our text message group where she's like he's such a whiner and i was like how dare you he never whines he's the least whiny human being on earth because he literally never writes everyone's like oh the world's gonna end and he's like don't worry, guys, we got this. Like, he's just like a perfect bright hope, and Rachel hates him, and it's so rude. But I just think, I think he does a very serviceable job with what he's given, because they admittedly don't give him a lot to do. Yep, that's true. And um, I didn't mind his little romance plot in, where do you even call it, King Arthur Land, yeah, King because, Arthur. Of, because of the twist about the whole thing, where he just, just rips your heart out, and you're like, oh, how dare they betray Henry in such a way? It made it worth it for me. Um, I'm glad that she disappeared, because she was boring, but um, I, <laughs> I just love Henry. I think he does a great job, and he's just the nicest, but season seven, Henry is... I can't deal with him because he was a cannibal on Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> and it will, and I just like every time I see him, I'm like, don't trust him, he'll eat you. So, All right, so we it's have really few, hard. We have a few more to go through, just real quick. So we have, uh, we have Belle. Quick thoughts on on what we thought about Belle. I oh I, yeah, she was fine. I I liked her. I don't know. 
I mean, I was su- I was probably the most excited for this casting because, I mean, again, as a huge Lost fan, when you see Emily Durav and you see Clea, uh, you know, come on and play Belle, it's such an interesting casting that I wouldn't initially expect because, again, we've seen this woman, you know, go crazy on the island before, but she kind of, she kicks a lot of butt as Belle. I love that, you know, that that characterization really carries over from the movie of, you know, her being confident, her being very book smart, you know, if, if Emma's not the person to turn to for the answer, it's going to be Belle. She's going to be in that library. She's going to have a book. I feel like, you know, the, the weakest part, again, is I thought that her relationship with Rumpelstiltskin was really interesting just because, no offense to Robert Carlyle, but you look at the crocodile skin Rumpelstiltskin and you're like, oh, okay, he's going to have a love interest. This is interesting. <laughs> but, like, they, their chemistry really makes it work. I was rooting for them throughout the first couple of seasons. Yeah. But, again, when he came back to life and it sort of became like a borderline... I don't want to say abusive relationship, but it was very torrid. Uh, I was like, I, Belle, get out of there. You know? <laughs> it's like, like when a man loves a woman, part two. <laughs> kick him out. Uh, so I felt like she lost a little bit of characterization there, but I do really love Emily DeRaven's performance. And I thought that she did a really good job making Belle very nuanced and three-dimensional, which I thought was very t- tough to do considering that Belle is one of these bigger Disney princesses coming in. And I felt like she did a good job of like making a character out of it. Yeah, she definitely brought more to Belle than is even in the cartoon and way more to Belle than Emma Watson. Come at me, haters. But um, I, so I really loved it. I think I, when they, you know, stylize her in iconic Belle clothing, she really pulls it off, which is... Oh. Kind of important for me that they look like the cartoons sometimes. I I mean, Mm -hmm. they can wear other clothes, obviously, but when they are themselves, I just really like them to look like themselves. But um, when she got pregnant and then they lost that baby, I was just having so many lost flashbacks of like, my baby, bring back my baby. My baby. (laughs) (laughs) It was was like a really rough couple of episodes for me because I was just like, someone just give her a baby she needs to just have her child one time but um no I really enjoy her she's she's pretty good sometimes she is a little bit like obviously I know all the answers for me I like people to not know the answer sometimes but but mostly she's she's just wonderful there's also a really admittedly grown worthy arc in season two where she, I don't know if you guys remember this where she gets amnesia and she yes. thinks she's a girl named Lacey who like wears <laughs> crop tops and leather pants and goes to like the biker bar in town. And she's like, oh yeah, beat up that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she that was really <laughs> weird. That part was insane. I forgot about it and I just barely watched it. I blocked it from my mind. <laughs> okay, um, so let's talk real quick about um Hook, uh Colin O'Donohue. And I think Amber wants to talk about more than just a little bit about Hook. Okay. I would, uh, I mean, I don't even know what, I'm like, I can't even speak about Hook. It's just, oh. he's so handsome and hilarious and funny. And in the musical episode, he sings like an angel. Oh, in the musical episode, I was in love. Oh, you finally saw that, Mike. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, again, as a musical fan, as, as bad as it can be sometimes, I always love when TV shows do musicals, whether it be Buffy or Scrubs. Yeah. Or, heck, I watched all two seasons of Smash. That's just how committed I am. Uh, I loved it. I mean, I had done some research beforehand, and it turns out that a good number of the cast had actually done singing before. Like, Josh Dallas was a musical theater actor. He was Um, good. Yeah, like, he had a really good voice. And Colin O'Donoghue has this, like, I think he's put out an album before or something. Like, he has a... 
he sings with a band, but I'm not talking like Russell Crowe sings with a band. I'm <laughs> sings with a band and has a good voice. I know that um that Jennifer Morrison has sung before. I think Lana Perea has sung before. So I feel like of all the shows to do it, besides like the Greg Berlanti Flash Arrowverse, I feel like this is the one to go down. So yeah. I was sufficiently impressed by it yeah it was so good i loved it i downloaded it the, the whole thing so there's i the way i counted it there's kind of six different big arcs there's uh there's your um well i don't know there's lands slash arcs you have storybook in the first season the the enchantment whatever um then you have wonderland you have neverland you have oz you have frozen and uh and you have the king arthur those, those are the big ones that I thought of. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, for, I, the one that I liked the least was The Neverland, because I thought the Peter Pan was super irritating and really annoying. Um, oh, no, I love that Peter Pan. He's yeah. such a little douche. And it's <laughs> but I, also wasn't a big, I wasn't a big fan of Oz either. And there's just something about, I don't know, maybe I'm just too biased to the original Judy Garland you know, Wizard of Oz. I don't know. I've I've really not liked almost any modern telling of Wizard of Oz. I know it just doesn't work for me for some reason. Um, but uh, but yeah, Neverland was probably my least favorite, even though Henry gets kind of killed. <laughs> and he has this really fun time where he has to try to play Peter Pan playing him, which is yeah. like him trying to pull off because. I loved, uh, Peter Pan might be, aside from like the Regina Gold duo, he might be my favorite villain just because I loved how much of a little douche he was. I love the ultimate twist that he was, you know, Gold's father who sort of selfishly abandoned him saying that he never wanted to grow old and it sort of turned into him. It made him a little bit more menacing, a little bit more Machiavellian. But I do agree with you that I actually didn't like the Neverland arc because there were so many episodes of them just sort of walking around the island (laughs) and like getting lost and learning a life lesson along the way. I I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the frozen arc either, just because, I mean, you could tell, I I have more admiration for it because it was the first season I podcasted about, but you kind of feel that like the execs were like, Hey, frozen's popular. Let's bring them in here. But it did bring us, uh, Elizabeth Mitchell brought us Juliet from Lost playing Ingrid, which was fantastic. You're talking about like nuanced villains. I thought she brought so much pathos to it. I thought the story was so interesting. I would say my least favorite might be Neverland or it might be the Underworld one. I know you didn't mention that one, but yeah. going down to the Underworld, because I was like, awesome. Like, start off with the 100th episode. We're going to face our past demons. And I felt like they barely did that. Plus, like, we had this big moment of you know, Hook uh, sacrificing himself after he becomes the second dark one to, you know, save everybody. And now they sort of retcon it by being like, oh, it's okay, he can come back. None of the other other characters, though, hey, Robin, you're permanently dead. (laughs) Hook can come back anytime he wants, which I'm, you know, I'm I'm sure. They didn't want me to quit the show twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like that was sort of a missed opportunity. And I feel like season five overall, which was the, the Camelot stuff and the Hades stuff, might be the least liked season in the show's history. Uh, yeah. But I feel like, you know, the the I enjoyed Oz. I really enjoyed season one. And season two, which sort of had this, like, I compared it to, like, a trimester almost, where, like, the first third was Emma, Snow, and Regina back in the Enchanted Forest. The second third was sort of like this, uh, the Greg and Tamara stuff. I don't know if you remember those two. Yes. And then, and then the third part was like everyone coming together and Neil comes back. Uh, I enjoyed those, but yeah, 
the tough thing about separating things into like clear halves are that sometimes things work much better than others do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just going to say my least favorite place is Agrava because oh, yeah. why did we ever go there? It was the worst and useless. I, I felt like, I, again, I love Aladdin. It might be one of my favorite Disney films. I felt bad that it was like relegated to the background. It's like, oh, Aladdin and Jasmine are coming over here and we'll have like three scenes in Agrabah and that'll be it. Mm-hmm. And like the whole point of being in Agrabah is so that Hook can leave. Like, yeah. I don't know. Agrabah was the worst and such a waste. And I mean, I would have rather just spent more time in Storybrooke. Yeah. Anyway, that's my least favorite, Rachel. You didn't even include it. Oh, that's how bad it is. So many. <laughs> Well, and also, on that note, I also, like, in that season six part, I really liked the idea of the land of untold stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they did some really cool stuff with it, at least starting off in season six, where they're like, here's the Count of Monte Cristo. Here's Captain Nemo. Like, I thought it was going to be, okay, like a hard reset almost. We're going back to season one circumstances of, here are all these new characters that come in. But then they they literally just shove them all away. Like, all right, Black Fairy, bring them in. We got to deal with this stuff now. (laughs) Like, no, I loved, I'm so surprised we got like four episodes of Jekyll and Hyde. I thought they were going to be like in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's true. That, that's kind of like the same with like the Cinderella thing. Like, why, why did you bring this character in for two episodes? Like, very weird uh, that they do. And then there's other characters. And poor Prince Philip and Aurora. They're like, (laughs) yeah. What, what, are they still flying monkeys? Like, has anyone found Prince Philip and Aurora? No, I mean, no, oh yeah, so I think Aurora is, like, part of the daycare community. I know that my co-host for the Once Upon a Time podcast, Kurt Clark, has been one of the lingering mysteries as to what happened to Prince Philip's soul, because as we remember, it got, like, sucked out of him by that Dementor-like thing, and I don't think he ever got it back. Like, Mulan and Aurora were trying to find it, and I don't think they ever found it, so I think he might unfortunately be trapped in, like, a purgatory-like stance, but, you know, Mulan's happy, Aurora seems to be happy, uh, I guess, two out of Is three. Is Mulan happy? I mean, she helped, you know, Dorothy and Red get together. She was herself a jilted lover because she pined after Aurora, and that didn't happen. But maybe they got back together. Who knows? With I'm not, definitely not us. The show doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just had to go visit Agrabah for a couple episodes. Well, plus, as a reality TV fan, to see... Uh, real-worlder turned actress Jamie Chung from the real world San Diego playing <laughs> Mulan was fun to yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, and, and how did you guys feel? I've already said what I thought about the finale. Well, at least what I think of finale season six uh, and finale. Uh, how did you feel about how the, this story arc for these main characters, how it kind of wrapped it up? Did you feel satisfied? Um... So I will say that, like, I would have been fine if they just, like, left us hanging and ended it with the musical episode. I mean, how fun would it have been if they were just like, and it's a musical at the end? Because I would be, but I don't know. I just, it's just so disappointing when you think about all of the times the Dark Curse is cast. And, like, I'm the fanciest, most powerful Dark Wizard of all time, and I will cast this Dark Curse that'll be unbreakable. And then they break it in an episode? Like... I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because this is the woman who had Rumpelstiltskin, the man of the terrible plans, but like, that that's the plan she's been working thousands of years on. I just, I don't know. I just, yeah. it was a little quick for me. 
Yeah, it, it felt, I and mean, you know, there was some weird stuff going on at the time too, because like around the end of season six is when you hear like, okay, Jennifer Morrison's leaving, Rebecca Mader's leaving, you know, the Josh Dallas is leaving, Jennifer Goodwin's leaving. So you're like, okay, they're going to make this a series finale. And I, I really liked actually the end to season 3A, the Neverland arc, as much as we may disparage it, where I believe from what I remember, it was like there was another curse sort of coming down onto the entire town and everyone just said it's like, okay, Emma and Henry, you guys need to go. We'll sort of stay behind. And you have this sort of, she says goodbye to everybody and drives away. And then Hook comes to her door and, you know, it still continues. But I, I like that way of sort of her saying goodbye. Here, everyone gets their happy ending, which I think is deserved for some characters, especially someone like Regina. Poor, poor <laughs> Regina. But it did feel a little interesting to be like, okay, the evil queen is now rehabilitated and helping them. You know, it's because they were going for like the big you know, uh, giant spectacle in a finale. And yeah, I think that's one of those unfortunate circumstances of, you know, making your seasons have to be 20-something episodes and then also mm -hmm. doing these two arcs sometimes is that sometimes you have to cram a lot of plot in there and really yeah. rush things along. And I totally agree that, like, it took us so long to find out who the Blackberry was and why she was doing what she does that when it happened, she's like, here's the curse. Okay, it's broken. Yeah, everyone's happy now. Like, <laughs> That was it. Um, but I did like, I know I haven't watched season seven, but even if it didn't work, even if it didn't lead into a next season, I did like an epilogue of, you know, Henry's daughter coming to his door and saying that I'm your daughter. I thought it was a really fun bookend yeah. to the, you mm -hmm. know, the very, not the very first scene from the series, but you know, the, the third scene maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just the beginning of the series. The beginning, yeah. What scene do we need? We don't care. <laughs> I just like that, that they ended with the show with everyone happy and taken care of and everything's good. And Because I, I hate when shows try to be too clever. Yeah. I, I will say this about season seven. The Dark Curse in season seven, probably the best one. Oh, no. And, uh, maybe this is drawing me into this. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about season seven because yeah, it's, it's sort of like a... I don't know, it reminds me of like a Save by the Bell, the new class, where like yes. there, are, there are a couple of holdovers, like... It's like Grease 2, Save by the Bell, the new oh, era. Yeah, so Frenchie <laughs> drops by, and yes. like, oh, Frenchie, oh God, I don't want to be like you, Frenchie. <laughs> um, no, it's actually been pretty, it was pretty lame, I'm going to be honest, for like mm -hmm. the first five or six episodes. Um, but once I got past like episode six, and we find out you know, the, like, why the Dark Curse was cast and all that, it actually really picks up. It gets, it gets a lot better once we know, like, what's going on. And also, spoiler alert, once Regina and Gold are awake, it's also more fun. So what's sort of the plot behind it? Is that, like, after, like, another curse hit and sort of everyone kind of went to sleep and now they're waking up again? Well, like, that's what, like, awake, like, they know who yeah. they are. Um, but so what happened is Henry like grew up and he was like, I need to go find my own adventure. So he goes and he runs into Cinderella and he gets kidnapped by Lady Tremaine. And okay. so, so Hook and Regina come to like save him. And then Regina decides to stay there with him and they run into old Hook and it's amazing. You guys, Old Hook is the best. Can we talk about Old Hook again? Remember Old Hook? <laughs> when he was in the Wish Realm or whatever? Oh, yeah, when he had, like, yeah. the paunch yeah. and, like, the balding. <laughs> that, that's the other interesting thing as well. Is like, I, 
because they've had these interesting finales sometimes because I remember the season three finale was right when they went like back to the future they went like back in time and like prevented their parents from meeting and Emma was disappearing in the photo or something like that uh and then the season four was the wish realm right it was or no the I guess that's this the story because the wish realm was Emma wishing that she wasn't the savior anymore and the story realm was like Isaac being like and then I was the best person (laughs) Look at all this stuff that happened. That was like a weird, like, wackadoo universe where gold is the is the white knight and Emma's the evil, you know, woman. I feel like that sort of uh, parlays nicely into the musical episode where, you know, when you get used to seeing these characters in these circumstances, it's fun sometimes to, like, change them up a little yeah. bit and, and yeah. see these characters. And, I, you know, I'm assuming the actors are having the time of their lives doing something different for once. Yeah, and I think that's probably the where the show shines the most is when you can just tell the actors are like, I have the best job in the whole world. Look at me just being like running around with a fake belly and acting all ridiculous. Who doesn't want to be like a, you know, in a fairy tale? Like that's, uh, I, I would think as an actor, that would just be something so exciting. I thought it would be fun for you to say, which character do you think would win on Survivor? Assuming there is no magic. Ooh, oh, assuming there is no magic. Well, I feel like, the question, so Mr. Gold, because I've actually thought about this, Mr. Gold <laughs> could, do, could be a great, I mean, again, because honestly, like, reality TV infects my brain at this point. <laughs> I mean, you do a good job at, like, wheeling and dealing, but the question is, can he win a jury vote, you know? Because I feel like, in, like, people come to him, but only because yeah. he has power. Mm-hmm. Like, but usually people really don't like him. You know what? I would say that Belle, I feel like Belle would be underestimated. I feel like she's wicked smart Mm -hmm. and very talented. And I feel like she knows like how to figure out certain dynamics. She can read a room. So I could totally see like very Boston Rob Amber situation. They both (laughs) get to the end together and they're like, screw you, Rumpel. We're giving it to Belle. Uh, not to compare Bell to Amber Burkett too much, but I feel like <laughs> Bell would totally deserve the win there. I uh, I think you nailed it. Way to go. Okay, and then very similar, which pair would be the best for the Amazing Race? Oh, I mean, I feel like in terms of like the confessionals, I feel like Hook, Hook and Emma would be fun uh, just because Hook is a great with the one-liners, but I feel like for an actual competent amazing race team you know uh jessica lee so i have the pleasure of doing amazing race podcasts with she always says that usually the most boring teams are the ones that succeed <laughs> the most i kind of feel like david and mary margaret would do yeah. really well for that reason they're also like both very athletic you know and i think that they also have this like fortitude i mean the one of the key phrases that's existed throughout once upon a time's lore is like we'll find each other and the fact that they were so resolute towards it i think it's really <laughs> It really holds when they're in the, the countless times the face of adversity and I feel like that happens on the amazing race where stress is at an all-time high you know I, I feel like the it's a drop in the bucket compared to how many times the world has arguably almost ended on once upon a time <laughs> I love it yeah I mean good choices Hard good choices argue. which team do you think would be the like arguing couple oh I mean that's got to be Bell and, <laughs> Bell and <laughs> Gold, right I don't know I was thinking like what if Zelina and Regina were a pair. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. They they would they would totally get in an argument about like yeah. who's right, who's taking the roadblock, because like <laughs> Zelina wants to like show that she can do it, but Regina believes that she can do it. Yeah, I think that they would definitely they might be, even though they're two extremely powerful women in their own right, they would definitely be first out of that yeah. season. 
Oh, that made me so happy. Oh, Thank you it. so much for indulging me. I'm glad I could scratch that itch. That was a lot of fun. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, interview with Hannah Peterson that we posted on Monday. And then we are going to be having our uh, recap of When Calls the Heart with Ruth Hill tomorrow. So take a look at that. This weekend on Hallmark Channel on Saturday, we have Home by, Home by Spring. Uh, with Stephen McQueen, the grandson of Steve McQueen. It's pretty exciting. And Poppy Drayton and uh, Kix Brooks from uh, the, the, the legendary country singer, Kix Brooks. It's very exciting. And do not forget Dawson's mom. Oh, yeah. Margaret Hume. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it went oh, actually yeah, really... Margaret. There we go. It really all ties in. I'm really excited for this one. I think it looks fun. I like kind of the country ones. And so that will be fun. And then we have a new episode of One Calls the Heart and Meet the Peets on Sunday. So look forward to that. Next week on the podcast, we are going to be doing the spring fever and bonus. They had some in the middle uh, that are the non-royal movies uh, that they've had. And so, so we'll talk about the sweetest heart uh, for one and some of the other ones that they've had. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun home by spring. We'll talk about. And uh, so look forward to that. And Mike, uh, where can people uh, find you? So you can always follow me on Twitter at a Mike bloom type. That's primarily where I push out notices about all the random things that I'm doing. Uh, I do survivor exit interviews for parade and i'll be doing big brother interviews amazing race exit interviews i have a bunch of interviews up there i'll also be doing some coverage of film festivals and other stuff going on in the next couple months uh, in terms of podcasts i do a weekly survivor podcast called the rhap bnb on uh rob has a podcast where i do very stupid silly fun things <laughs> around survivor each and every week a lot of fun and games going on there I do uh, coverage of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is now just started its 10th season. Absolutely love that show. I'm doing coverage of Saturday Night Live on a podcast called SNL Funhouse. I do a movie podcast called The Hamster Factor. I, uh, I do the Survivor Historians periodically. I'm going to be talking uh, on a podcast about The Simpsons, which is a show that Rachel and I have talked about yeah. before that we both hold very near and dear to our hearts. And I'm sure a bunch of other random assortments of things. Uh, but I'm, I'm so happy to, to come on and, and you know, relive these feelings you know I, I was a little nervous coming on here just because i to be honest haven't really as i mentioned thought about the show for about an hour and a half uh not an hour and a, half, <laughs> a year and a half or so uh after since i dropped off in season six but like just getting to talk with you guys about this really drudged up a lot of excitement and energy and feelings that i had towards the show so okay. thank you so much for having me on and having my plugs take up you know three quarters of the length of your show i really appreciate that well, thank you. We, this was such a treat for us. And uh, we hope that we can have you on again, uh, again. Absolutely. We'll, find some, we'll make you watch Chesapeake Shores <laughs> yeah. just for yeah. Red Riding Hood. I'll do it. I'll fo- <laughs> I will follow her much like a wolf follows the moon. <laughs> so Amber, where can people find you? As always, I'm at Amber Brainwaves on Twitter and that's it. And that's great. And you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews on iTunes and YouTube. Check that out. I have my review of Ready Player One up. And so you'll want to check that out. And I will also put a link down to that podcast that Mike and I did on our top 10 favorite Simpsons episodes. That was really fun. So uh, make sure you're following us on Hallmarkies Pod on iTunes and on Instagram, uh, Twitter, all the social media. We, We post daily on our social media, so you definitely want to check that out. And uh, thanks again, and it was so fun talking Disney.
Disney. Oh, it was Disney. You're so right. <laughs> you snuck some Disney in with your Hallmark podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, she tricked me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye. Bye.